Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, June 16th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Melissa Topshire with today's headlines. The UK releases its long-awaited Partygate report. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken will visit China this weekend. Germany approves funds for an Israeli Aero 3 missile defense system. The Supreme Court rules Native Americans must be given priority for adopting Native children. Australia blocks a new Russian embassy from being built near Parliament. Music publishers sue Twitter for alleged copyright infringements. India's wrestling chief is charged with sexual harassment. A survey finds distrust is the main cause of partisanship in the U.S. India and Pakistan brace for a major cyclone. And scientists create the world's first synthetic human embryo. In our first story, the U.K. releases its long-awaited Partygate report. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, The Evening Standard, The Independent, Sky News, ITV News, and The Herald Scotland. A report released by the UK Parliament's Privileges Committee has concluded that Boris Johnson deliberately misled Parliament over gatherings during the COVID lockdown and recommended he should have faced a 90-day suspension had he not already resigned as an MP last week. The result of a 14-month investigation, the committee found that Johnson had deliberately misled the House of Commons and the committee itself, breached confidence, impugned the committee and was complicit with a campaign of abuse and attempted intimidation of the committee. The report concluded that the extent of the former prime minister's actions constituted an attack on democratic institutions. Alongside his 90-day ban from Parliament, the publication recommended Johnson be stripped of his former member's pass. It also stated that the committee didn't consider Johnson's defense concerning his birthday gathering on June 19, 2020, convincing and further revealed that on May 18 this year, the government provided the committee with new evidence surrounding 16 previously unknown gatherings at Number 10 and Checkers. Johnson has hit out against the committee, calling it a kangaroo court, whose members mostly expressed prejudicial views. He also alleged it was being driven by a political agenda and described the report as a dreadful day for MPs and for democracy. The Liberal Democrats have demanded that Johnson be stripped of the £115,000 annual allowance available to all former UK PMs. Thanks for those facts, Melissa. We have a left narrative spin coming from The Guardian. Boris Johnson has rightly been condemned for his continual lies and his response to being held accountable has been a vast stream of explosive nonsense. Despite ongoing attacks on the committee by Johnson and his allies, its members have stood strong and exposed the former prime minister's failings. Johnson has brought this catastrophic ending upon himself. The worst prime minister in the UK's history is being forced to leave in disgrace. And the sun brings us a right narrative. The committee conducted a Soviet-style show trial that set out with a predetermined goal of kicking Boris Johnson out of parliament. This ordeal has damaged the faith of the British people in the democratic system, especially as the committee dismissed all evidence in his defense as further attempts to mislead members. Even those who don't like Johnson can admit this was a seriously flawed process. And from time to time, we have statistics-based nerd narratives from the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says there's a 5% chance that Boris Johnson will return 
as the leader of the UK's Conservative Party before the year 2026. There's a certain way of reading these right and left narratives where they're both true. Tell me more. Well, I mean, if just because the trial was or was not biased against him doesn't mean he was innocent or guilty. Sure. You can be found guilty in a sham trial that you actually were guilty of. Yeah. And that I, I think is a problem of the left is they could stand a, on a lot of moral grounds without pushing it so far in one direction and making a show out of it. If they just like played it straight. I, I'm of the mind of give them enough rope to hang themselves with. Like, you know, yes. like not not literally. Well, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And I think that came from a, a hard push from in general, right? Of, of Okay, the right's not playing by the rules, so the left needs to go even further out to the left. You know, two wrongs make a right, right? That, that's, that's what I was always taught. Of course. U.S. Secretary of State Blinken to visit China. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by CNN, Reuters, Fox News, The New York Post, Politico, and Forbes. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken will travel to Beijing this weekend, the first cabinet official to travel to China under the Biden administration, the State Department announced on Wednesday. Blinken was initially set to visit China in February, but the trip was postponed due to an alleged PRC spy balloon flying across the U.S. airspace. The announcement comes after Chinese Foreign Minister Xin Gang allegedly told Blinken on Tuesday's call that the U.S. must stop interfering in China's internal affairs and harming its sovereignty in the name of competition. Meanwhile, Daniel Crittenbrink, Assistant Secretary of State for East Asian Affairs, claimed Blinken's decision to progress with the visit, at a minimum, helps reduce the risk of miscalculation so that we do not veer into potential conflict. Blinken, who will head to Beijing on Friday and return to the U.S. on Wednesday, will also become the first Secretary of State to visit China in five years. He is also expected to stop in London to express support for Ukraine's war efforts. Though Blinken will reportedly meet senior PRC officials, neither side has stated whether he would meet Chinese leader Xi Jinping, who could visit the U.S. for a meeting of APEC leaders in San Francisco next November. Those were the facts, and here are the narrative spins, starting with an anti-China narrative from NBC News. Blinken's visit can be an important push with China to cool tensions over the Ukraine war, Taiwan, the spy balloon saga, and an alleged China-Cuba spy base. But while the U.S. has been redoubling efforts to mend ties with Beijing, it's yet to be seen whether the PRC is willing to thaw bilateral relations. And we have a pro-China spin from the Global Times. Blinken's visit will undoubtedly clear the way for face-to-face -face communication at a high level. However, a thaw can only be achieved when the U.S. starts respecting China's core interests and taking concrete actions to implement its previous commitments. While the U.S. has indeed changed its rhetoric, there's no signal that its true intentions of containing China have changed. We have another nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community saying there's a 15% chance that there will be a U.S.-China war before 2035. Germany approves funds for Israeli Arrow 3 missiles. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, The Times of Israel, Arab News, Barron's, U.S. News and World Report, and the Israel Defense. Germany's Parliament and Budget Committee reportedly gave the green light to release advance payments of up to 560 million euros, or $607 million, on Wednesday for a planned purchase of Israel's Arrow 3 air defense system, 
in a deal valued at nearly 4 billion euros. Israeli manufacturer Israeli Aerospace Industries says the system is designed to shoot down missiles above Earth's atmosphere from up to 2,400 kilometers away. It will reportedly be able to shield other EU nations. The system was first used at a military base in Israel in 2017 and was created to protect Israel amid its conflict with Iran and Syria. Germany will finance the purchase of new military equipment by using funds from a 100 billion euro defense fund announced by Chancellor Olaf Scholz amid the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Berlin aims to finalize the deal with Israel by December, according to procurement documents drawn up from Parliament, with deliveries expected in Q4 of 2025. If it doesn't go through, Germany will lose part or all of its advance payments, according to the papers. Before the Arrow 3 deal can be signed, however, it requires approval from the U.S. government. While U.S. President Joe Biden reportedly approved the deal in March, there has yet to be an official announcement. Thanks for that rundown, Melissa. The pro-establishment narrative comes from Politico. Following Russia's war on Ukraine, it has become obvious to the West, and Europe in particular, that it must modernize its military defenses. With the acquisition of the Israeli Aero 3 system and the purchase of the German Iris-T SLM system, which was also approved Wednesday, Germany is securing an Iron Dome-style air defense system that will help build up a protective umbrella to defend its neighbors as well. And here's the establishment critical narrative from the Middle East Monitor. The purchase of the Aero 3 anti-missile system is nothing more than wasteful government spending. The nation's eagerness to burn almost 4 billion euros, 1 billion euros more than originally estimated, reveals its distorted sense of priorities and a blatant waste of taxpayers' hard-earned money. By indulging in such costly acquisition, Germany is neglecting other key areas such as social programs, economic development, and infrastructure. And we have another nerd narrative from the forecasting community at Metaculus. This time they predict there's a 50% chance that at least 10.4% of NATO member states, excluding the U.S., will increase their real defense spending by at least 25% in 2023 compared with 2022. So we got water in our basement a while back, right? and there's a few different ways to tackle that. Put in a French drain where the water comes in, then it flows out. You can you know, make it so the slope outside your house goes more away from your house so the water doesn't come in. But then like the ultimate thing to do is to like dig a trench around your house, right around the foundation, and they put a membrane around the outside so that it turns mm. it into like a, a submarine. The only ah. pr- so that so that makes sense, you know, if you want to really seal this wall. But the problem with that is, if there's one little pinprick in that thing, it doesn't work. It only works if the whole thing is perfect. One dude nicks it with a shovel, which, by the way, they're digging all around it at all times, and it just doesn't work at all. That yeah. kind of feels like this type of missile defense, the so-called Iron Dome systems. Like, if you're going to go that route, go ahead and shoot at us. We'll shoot every single one down. That's a tough. That's that. That's hard to do. Uh, I think I tried skeet shooting once, and it's harder mm, than it looks. Yeah, remember Duck Hunt on Nintendo? Do I ever? Yeah, that's that dog. They say you could shoot it, but I don't think anything ever happened. <laughs> no, no, it was infallible. Mm-hmm. You know, Duck Hunt doesn't work on if you plugged your Nintendo into a modern, high definition TV, you know, a, a, a you know flat screen TV like we all have now. It doesn't work. 
because yeah. it was based on the flickering of the screen and the light of the screen that was that oh. was the, there was some math happening with that laser gun and it's meant to work with an old TV. It, it only works with it just doesn't your Nintendo you can totally plug it into your new TV but it just the duck hunt won't work and there, uh, I, I think I haven't played a lot of video games recently, but I think shooting games have come a long way. Oh yes, I would, I would say they have. They're much more realistic and much more <laughs> damaging to kids' psyches. That's what. That's what I think. We've, that's where we've come. <laughs> the Supreme Court upholds Native American adoption preferences. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by NPR Online News, Al Jazeera, CBS, and the New York Times. In a 7-2 ruling on Thursday, the U.S. Supreme Court has upheld the Indian Child Welfare Act, or ICWA, of 1978, which gives Native American tribes preference in the adoption and fostering of Native children. The case, Holland v. Bracken, stems from challenges against the law brought by non-Native families seeking to adopt Native children in instances where the ICWA was invoked to keep children in a Native or tribal home. The plaintiffs argued that the law is radically discriminatory and an infringement on states' rights. The majority opinion, authored by Justice Amy Coney Barrett, rejected all of the challenges to the ICWA. A concurring opinion from Justices Neil Gorsuch and Sonia Sotomayor called the law a reasonable exercise of congressional authority to secure the right of Indian parents to raise their families as they please. In their dissent, Justices Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito argued that the law is an overreach of federal power, adding that the decision disserves the rights and interests of these children and their parents. Tribal leaders and President Joe Biden expressed relief at the news with a joint statement from tribal leaders saying that the ruling affirms the relationships between Congress and tribal nations. The ICWA was enacted in response to the history of Native children being removed from their families. At the time of the law's enactment, 25 to 35 percent of Native American children were removed from their homes, with 85 percent being placed in non-Native families, even if there were fit and willing relatives available. Thank you, Scott, for those facts. And we'll start this round of narratives with a narrative A from Slate.com. The ICWA is one of the most important pieces of legislation when it comes to the rights of Native Americans with this bipartisan ruling affirming the sovereignty of Native American tribes. The removal of Native children from their homes through adoption or government-run boarding schools was a weapon of cultural genocide. This ruling will protect the right of Native Americans to raise their children at home, immersed in their culture. And Narrative B comes from the Goldwater Institute. This decision, which was mostly decided on legal technicalities, will keep more Native children in abusive homes, depriving them of the rights children of other races enjoy. This racially discriminatory piece of legislation would not stand if it applied to any other race, and it will force more Native children to endure utterly preventable mistreatment. Australia blocks a new Russian embassy near Parliament. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, BBC News, The Guardian, The Financial Times, ABC News, and Voice of America. Australia has revealed that it will introduce legislation in order to cancel Russia's lease to build a new embassy in the country's capital of Canberra. In Australia's latest attempt to block the establishment of a new Russian embassy, Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese stated that intelligence agencies had given very clear security guidance on the matter, with the bills being passed through with bipartisan support. 
In August 2022, the National Capital Authority sought to terminate Russia's lease, a move that was overturned by Australia's federal court on May 31st. The court found the order to be invalid and of no effect after Russia took legal action against the decision. Although Russia acquired the lease 15 years ago, Home Affairs Minister Claire O'Neill has said that the proximity to Parliament House, being directly adjacent to the prospective embassy, made it necessary for Australia to bring the long-standing matter to a close. O'Neill continued that the scope for espionage and foreign interference from a Russian embassy so close to Australia's national legislature constituted a substantial risk for the nation. Russia has already spent $5.5 million on the site, and Moscow has not managed to complete construction in the agreed three-year window from 2011. Russia will continue to reside in their existing embassy in Canberra, with Albanese affirming a Russian presence will remain in the city, just as Australia has a diplomatic presence in Moscow. Thanks for that update, Melissa. We have an anti-Russia narrative from First Post. Australia is one of the most generous providers of military assistance to Ukraine and has continued to escalate sanctions against Russia since its illegal invasion. Having also accused Russia of cyber crimes against Australia's largest health insurer, tensions have continued to grow. In light of this, with Russian retaliation likely, this is a perfectly reasonable course of action for Canberra. And the pro-Russia narrative from TASS. The decision by Australia is another deliberate attempt to destroy relations between itself and Russia. Russia will remember such actions, and if events arise where reciprocal behavior is required, the state will act accordingly. Australia continues to follow the mainstream Western trend of pursuing hostility toward Russia. This move was unwarranted and Russophobic. So, one of our earlier stories, the... um... Boris Johnson trial was described as a so-called kangaroo court. Do you mm. think the Australians are okay with that? I don't know. I'm not Australian or mm-hmm. a kangaroo. Music publishers sue Twitter for copyright infringement. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Financial Times, CNN, The Guardian, The Washington Examiner, and The Verge. The National Music Publishers Association, or NMPA, a group of 17 U.S.-based music publishers, filed a lawsuit on Wednesday at the Federal District Court in Nashville, seeking $250 million in damages from Twitter for allegedly permitting and encouraging copyright infringement for profit. Citing CEO Elon Musk's tweets, the the lawsuit argues that Musk's regime has deliberately stopped enforcing copyright infringement rules since taking over the company last year while, quote, breeding massive copyright infringement that harms music creators. While other social media companies like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and Snapchat pay for a blanket license that allows users to upload copyrighted material, Twitter has never done so. Talks to pay $100 million for licensing stalled over the price and have fallen apart since Musk's takeover. Alleging the infringement of approximately 1,700 songs, the lawsuit states that Twitter should pay $150,000 for each infringement. The NMPA includes some of the world's largest labels and artists, including Drake, Rihanna, and Taylor Swift, among others. The lawsuit noted Musk's tweets, including one where he advised a user who was warned about a potential suspension for copyright notices to consider turning on subscriptions in order to conceal infringement. Musk has also said the overzealous DCMA, or Digital Millennium Copyright Act, is a plague on humanity. 
The suit also highlighted Twitter's massive layoffs since Musk took over, alleging that he eliminated whole teams and exerted pressure on employees on issues involving copyright. Thanks for those facts, Scott. And we'll begin with a narrative A on this story from Ars Technica. For far too long, Twitter has circumvented copyright law in a way none of its competitors have been able to, exploiting the creative material of hundreds of artists. This problem has only gotten worse under Musk, who has shown a complete disregard for artists and their work. Musk's attitude towards copyright law shows exactly how he is running Twitter, and he will have to face the consequences for doing nothing to stop copyright infringement. An outkick brings us narrative B. It's highly telling that artists and record labels never seem to care about Twitter not licensing music for over a decade, but the legal guns are out now that persona non grata Elon Musk is in charge of the company. Just like much of the hysteria surrounding Musk, this lawsuit is patently absurd, and the Twitter CEO is right in treating it as such. And the nerds have their take from the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says there's an 87% chance that Elon Musk will remain the owner of Twitter by January 1st, 2024. I I didn't realize that um, other social media companies were actually paying a license. Yeah, I think that... Okay, so that's so that users can just put whatever song they want on their material. Right, but I think that they're not allowed to necessarily profit. They're allowed to use it without permission. But right. then, well, they well don't that's get relatively new then. Yeah. Because I, I put on Instagram, I remember putting a video of my son who was like just barely walking at the time. And, it, and we had a Boogie Nights song and he, he was dancing around, right? It was adorable. Yep. And, you know, all of like 12 people follow me who are in, in my family. The, the diehards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's really what it's for. I mean, we, we all, we all know that kind of an Instagram account. But, but yeah, they, they, they were like, oh, you have to take this down because you have copyright infringement on this song. I was like, Oh, I yeah. didn't really think about that. I mean, because now, like on TikTok, there was the famous example like a year ago of that Ocean Spray guy with Fleetwood Mac Dreams, the guy that was like skateboarding and 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 it like put Fleetwood Mac back on top of the charts after 40 years because oh. this video went crazy. Um, yeah. So it, it helped them. But at the same time, you know, who should be paying who? It's tough to say because it exposure does help, but you know, you can't pay your bills with exposure, as you well know, Melissa. (laughs) (laughs) I've tried. Turning our heads to India, where the wrestling chief is charged with sexual harassment. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, Al Jazeera, BBC News, and DW. On Thursday, Indian police filed sexual harassment and criminal intimidation charges against Bridge Bhushan Sharan Singh the chief of the country's wrestling federation, and a member of parliament with the ruling Bharatiya Janata Party, or BJP. Singh, who's accused of groping female wrestlers and demanding sexual favors, had also been accused of abusing a minor, though the father of that individual has since withdrawn the complaint. Singh has dismissed the allegations as a conspiracy to force him out of parliament. After six alleged female victims levied the accusations, protests began in January, led by two prominent Olympic medalists and a champion wrestler. But protests were paused after videos of detained protesters emerged and police promised to complete an investigation by June 15th. A police official said 155 people were interviewed over the course of the investigation. Singh faces up to three years in prison if convicted. 
Legal experts have said that most of the charges are bailable offenses, meaning Singh likely won't be arrested anytime soon. The trial is set to begin July 4th, and a judge will decide whether to include the original accusation by the minor. The Indian Sports Ministry also conducted a probe, but the findings were not made public. Thanks for those awful facts, Melissa. We have a narrative A from the print. As if the allegations in Singh's sexual abuse weren't devastating enough, the Indian government's lack of a response is a glaring example of Prime Minister Narendra Modi's corruption. This weak probe is nothing more than a facade to protect Singh, despite overwhelming evidence of his guilt. Hopefully the bravery of these wrestlers will finally force some government action. Here's Narrative B from Op India. There are obvious reasons these accusations against Singh could be politically motivated which is why the legal process must play out. Indian police have worked diligently so far to investigate the situation, but charges do not equal guilt. Only once a court has scrutinized the accusation of Singh's defense can a final judgment be made. A survey claims Democrats and Republicans share core values, but still distrust each other. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by the Associated Press, ABC News, and The Washington Post. A survey conducted jointly by the University of Chicago's NORC and the nonprofit group Starts With Us, or SWU, has found that 90% of both Democrats and Republicans share similar views on values such as fairness, compassion, and personal responsibility, but only a third of either group believed it true of the other side. The results show 91% of Republicans believe it's very or extremely important that citizens learn from the past to improve the country. But just a third of Democrats thought their GOP counterparts did. Likewise, 90% of Democrats believed government accountability was important, but only 31% of the GOP thought they did. Regarding each of the six values included in the survey, which included fair enforcement of the law and representative government, approximately 90% of both parties agreed strongly with each statement while distrusting the other side. Reasons cited for such misunderstandings include the decline and fragmentation of legitimate news sources, politicians stoking distrust, and social media platforms spreading misinformation while separating users into echo chambers. Harvard professor Julia Minson has called this affective polarization, where disagreements are based on animosity and a lack of trust instead of debates over values or policy. CEO of Common Ground USA, Neilan Parker, stated, you get worried when polarization turns into dehumanization. The nationwide survey interviewed 1,003 adults. Between May 11th and 13th, used NORC's probability-based Amerispeak panel to make it representative of the U.S. population and had a margin sampling error of plus or minus 4.3%. Thank you, Scott, for those interesting facts. And we'll start this round of spins with a pro-establishment narrative from The New Yorker. Even though opposing U.S. parties have more in common than they'd like to believe, hyper-partisanship today has become about much more than policy. Party allegiance is part of a mega-identity, comprising race, faith, and social and mainstream media habits. It's no wonder that with the shift towards compiling multiple key aspects of an individual's social and cultural existence and attaching it to one side of the political divide, debate is more difficult than ever. The U.S. must work to find broader commonalities and look to share longer-term superordinate goals to help depolarize America. And the establishment critical narrative comes from the Washington Post. 
The movement away from bipartisanship is not only the result of the changing political landscape. The flawed two-party system is restricting American voters from registering their dissatisfaction and disenchantment with the major parties, meaning their participation in elections is motivated by contempt for opponents rather than support for anyone on the ballot. The oversimplified choice offered at the polls is not even reflective of the political diversity within the two parties, let alone outside of them. Lawmakers must reform this system for the sake of discourse and the future of American democracy. And we have a nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says there's a 45% chance that a U.S. president who's not a Democrat or Republican will be inaugurated before 2080. God, I hope so. Yeah, we're not doing it right. Here in the United States, we're not doing it right. I, I, I think democracy can work, but we're not doing it right. It's just, it's just, uh, there, do you ever hear that show, the greatest American hero, uh, uh, the famous theme song, look, believe it or not, I'm walking on air. No. Oh yeah. 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 So, yeah. So the, in that show, regular guy gets confronted by aliens and they give him a super powered suit and an instruction book. Huh? And that's all great. And it's the suit can save the world basically, but he loses the instruction book immediately. So (laughs) the whole show is him like trying to figure out how to work this thing and randomly discovering fantastic powers, but being unable to replicate them because he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, That feels like how we're doing democracy. Like we, we have it, but we're like not doing it right. We're flying backwards. Yeah. We're pushing the wrong buttons. And and then once they're pushed, we don't know how to push them again. Yeah. And you know what's the yeah. most infuriating about that show? In a later episode, the aliens come back and they say, how's it been going with the suit? And he goes, oh, I lost the book immediately. They're like, oh, well, here's another one. So then the aliens leave again. And the first thing he does is he opens the book like, great, I'm going to learn some powers. And he looks up how to shrink himself. And he shrinks down to like the size of an ant or something or, or a speck of dust. And then he looks up how to grow and he grows, but he forgets to grow the book too. So then (laughs) he's back to square one. Oh man. Why did they give the suit to this guy? He was pure of heart and totally innocent. He was a special education teacher who did really good and all this different stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. That's a good premise. Yeah. Yeah. We got to get rid of that two party system. It sucks. We were warned. We were warned about it. George Washington said, here's, okay, we are fine. I'm going to leave office. The only thing that you don't want to do is you want to avoid foreign entanglements. Whoops. Oops. And two-party system. If you just don't do those two things, we got it made in the shade here in America. So we don't have it made in the shade at all. Yeah. And we also didn't lose the instruction manual. So what happened? Pakistan and India brace for Cyclone Bipar Joy. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Al Jazeera, and Earth Observatory. India and Pakistan have evacuated tens of thousands of residents in preparation for the impacts of Cyclone Bipar Joy, which has been driving toward the region since last week and made landfall in the Indian state Gujarat on Thursday. Winds reportedly reached an initial speed of 67 miles per hour before slowing to an average of 48 miles per hour, with the relief commissioner of Gujarat reporting that at least 22 people had been injured. The storm is currently the equivalent of a Category 1 hurricane and has also already been blamed for multiple deaths off the coast of Mumbai. 
In addition to the evacuations of residents and animals, fishing and oil operations in Gujarat have been suspended until Friday. A combination of 21 teams from the National Disaster Response Force and 13 teams from the State Disaster Response Force are working to complete disaster operations before and after the storm. Climate scientist Roxy Matthew Call with the Indian Institute of Tropical Meteorology said the waters of the Arabian Sea are soaring at 2 to 4 degrees Celsius above the climatological mean, which is said to have fueled the rapid intensification of the storm and prolonged its lifespan. According to India's weather department, the storm has passed the Saurashtra Kutch coast and is now moving toward the country's northeast. Thanks for those facts, Melissa. Narrative A comes from the conversation. As many metropolitan areas in India are expected to become uninhabitable in the next 80 years, activists will have to be the voice of reason and encourage the government to meet their emission pledges, which will lead to growth in the national economy and social systems. Authorities cannot be released from their responsibilities and allowed to do nothing as climate change leaves destruction across the country. Narrative B provided by The Washington Post. The Indian government demonstrated its commitment to disaster preparedness and relief in the face of catastrophic climate change impacts with its response to Cyclone Fanny in 2019. Governments require two things to be successful, adequate and timely knowledge about a devastating event and incentives to respond accordingly. This is where a democratic country with technological capabilities can really shine, as demonstrated through the building of cyclone shelters and the bolstering of infrastructure. Narrative C comes from the Financial Times. It's easy to dismiss any extreme weather event as a consequence of climate change, but in reality, they're usually influenced by a myriad of factors that have nothing to do with it. More research is needed before we can establish any direct causal link between the two. All right, Melissa. Scott. Now, there could be a silver lining. I just searched, what are the benefits of climate change? Oh, all right, let me run them down okay. for you. Let's, you know, let's, 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 yeah, let's, little, uh, let's make some lemonade here. Okay. Fewer winter deaths. True. Lower sure. energy costs. Mm, now, how's that? You don't have to, people, most people are running their heaters all the time. They're not doing that anymore. Okay. Better agricultural yields. So more areas will be warm enough to make crops. Mm. Probably fewer droughts and maybe richer biodiversity as well as more efficient shipping routes through an ice-free Arctic. So, so huh. there you go. So there, silver lining, you know? I've got some major questions about of, of, of four or five out of seven of those. Okay, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, hopefully we live long enough to, to ask those questions. We'll, we'll find out. Our final story, a synthetic embryo is created in a groundbreaking advance. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, CNN, The Guardian, Sky News, and Fizz.org. Researchers from Cambridge University and Caltech have created the first ever synthetic human embryos by using stem cells, a breakthrough discovery with the potential to better understand genetic disorders and recurrent miscarriages. The anatomical structures don't require sperm or eggs and don't have a beating heart or the basis of a brain, but do contain cells that would usually develop into the placenta, yolk sac, and the embryo itself. It's also unknown if they would become viable embryos if implanted. Dr. Magdalena Zernika Getz, of both Caltech and Cambridge, stated that they were created by the reprogramming of embryonic stem cells. 
This raises ethical questions as many countries have no legal framework for governing stem cell-derived models, as there are for in vitro fertilization, per an associate research director at the Francis Crick Institute. As these embryo models mirror human embryos at the 14-day mark after fertilization, the agreed-upon limit for scientists to study embryos in the lab, Zernika Getz says the goal of her research isn't to create new life, but to prevent the loss of life. This follows the professor's previous work alongside a group at the Weizmann Institute in Israel that showed stem cells from mice could be encouraged to self-assemble into early embryo-like structures with an intestinal tract, the onset of a brain, and a beating heart. Research in China earlier this year saw scientists create embryo-like structures from monkey embryonic stem cells, which were then implanted into the uteruses of eight female monkeys. Three of the eight implants resulted in hormones normally associated with pregnancy. Thank you, Scott, for those fascinating facts. We'll begin the spins with Narrative A from Fizz.org. While there are concerns regarding this technology, the benefits far outweigh the risks on this issue. For those who fear this could lead to a dangerous explosion in human cloning, that technology has been around for 25 years, and the cloning apocalypse still hasn't happened. Synthetic embryos will give the hundreds of thousands of women dealing with pregnancy complications a safer alternative, so this option deserves extremely serious consideration. Narrative B comes from The Atlantic. Just because something is scientifically possible doesn't mean we should do it. Mothers and fathers are supposed to create babies together, and the mothers carry them in their wombs, just as every other animal does, because it builds an unmatched connection between parent and child. Without a natural conception and birthing process, the start of human life could be mechanical and robotic rather than beautifully willful. And the nerds have the final word with the Metaculous Prediction community, stating there's a 45% chance that by 2050, at least 20% of U.S. births will be screened as embryos to detect genetic disorders or disabilities. I can't wait to become a ball of light. It's going to be awesome. If that's what it is, that will be cool. You know, and it'll also be a little embarrassing, all the balls of light that saw all the stuff that we ever did because there was light (laughs) around, you know, like that. I would get, I'd be embarrassed for a minute as I was, before I was freed of my corporeal self. Mm. And as I'm turning into the ball of light, I would be embarrassed, but then I wouldn't probably care that much. Right. Yeah. I wonder if that's a painful transition or if it's like just all joy and like, mm. oh, yeah, that's right. Nothing actually matters and everything matters. All well, even if it's painful, you would know that that pain wasn't even real in the first place, I guess. Right. So be, yeah. Know, you're, you're about to lose the body of pain. In a way, it would be the last thing you would ever feel. So you might embrace it like, oh, I'm feeling something before I yeah. transcend do you think that's, matter. That's a great point. And so do you think that balls of white light aspire to become human so they can feel pain. They're like, gosh, they're I wish bored. I could stub my toe. If I would give it all, maybe there's light around it. Like <laughs> I just would give it all to, st- to step on a Lego. That would be the best. God. <laughs> Take that uh, light. By the way, I'm going to turn, I'm going to turn my lamp off. Then, then, then what are you going to do? <laughs> ah, who's in control now? Life is hard, but it's good. Yeah. Keep stepping on Legos, my friend. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, June 16th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. 
For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download our app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Melissa Topshire, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News. Thank you.